from Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network at USA Today. This is the Trojans Wired Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Zemick and Ian Hest. Welcome to the latest episode of Trojans Wired, the podcast, which is an in-house production of the website Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network. We're back for episode six of our special 12-part summer series, The Riley Files, a deep dive into the career of Lincoln Riley, profiling the, the new head coach of the USC Trojans, looking back at his years at Oklahoma to get deep, uh, detailed perspective on the man, the coach, the new leader of USC. So Oklahoma insider Keegan Renault is back as usual. He's taking us through this 12-part series, a fascinating journey. And on the heels of our fifth episode, which was, you know, where, where was Lincoln Riley's head at? What was his mindset? What was his thought process in 2021 at Oklahoma? You know, what pushed him out the door to USC? What was the, 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 the turmoil uh, and what was the dynamic that, you know, led to, to the, the feeling that he had that he ultimately needed to uh, get a change of scenery, go to Los Angeles. You know, we left that part of the conversation with Keegan with, you know, the reality that, you know, there was, it was high stakes poker with AD Joe Castiglione and Riley felt he wasn't getting as many resources as he needed. Uh, so as we look at in the sixth episode, you know, the best and worst things that Riley did at Oklahoma, I think the conversation starter here, Keegan is, um, you know, what things did Lincoln Riley do at OU that, you know, cost him any leverage that might've turned insiders uh, against him, or at least not necessarily against him, but might have made them think twice about making certain investments in the program. The investments that we're seeing are, are happening now with Brent Venables. Was there any time, point in time where Lincoln Riley misplayed his hand at OU, which led to you know his ultimate exit for USC? I think he, I think his hand. And you know, I, if we kind of even just list this out and talk about these things, one, I his recruiting approach. Very, very small margin for error. I mean, look at the way he recruited wide receivers. One year he'd recruit all these elite guys. It would be set up for them to sit a year, and then they would, they should be the stars of the offense. Same with the quarterback. Same with the offensive line, and even to extent some of the defense too. So that margin for error, right? If you miss on a guy, if you're, if you know, it's sometimes recruiting can be a crapshoot in terms of evaluating the player as well as the person. And that goes for NFL evaluations as well. You've got to be able to make sure you have plans C, D, and E, right? And it's specifically at a place like Oklahoma. And so when things do go wrong and you have your top receiver or your top offensive player is uh, going to jail after spring football in 2021, right? And you have uh, things that are happening um, at Oklahoma, guys getting kicked off, other things happening. Um, when you're marching, you've, you've, you've purposefully at that point kind of created your own downfall a little bit, right? When you go through those things in the offseason, Matt, if X, Y, and Z don't happen, like Oklahoma is not going to be as good as what the numbers say they are. Well, guess what? X, quarterback not improving, happened. Why offensive line not improving happened? Uh, Z 
defense not being as good as what they were a year ago. All three of those things happened. The things that could not happen for Oklahoma to, to that was going to impede them getting their results happened. And so I think that it was kind of a, it was a self, it was a little bit of self-destruction um, in 2021 for Oklahoma. Um, but that, that, those are the things that really did, I, I did disagree with um, that, that he in, implemented at Oklahoma at the time. Um, in this final year, it was just, it really felt like all those times when you felt like Matt from afar that Lincoln Riley may lack some self-awareness. I think a lot of those things came out to fruition and we saw out um, to the public, uh, including uh, after the Bedlam game before he takes the job at USC the next day. So those are the things for me that are a little bit weird that I didn't necessarily understand, but maybe he can adjust and change at USC. So I think a, a, a number of people will will take what you said specifically about, you know, his recruiting, uh, leaving very little margin for error. Many people will quite reasonably say, especially if they don't follow recruiting very closely, they might say, well, it's Oklahoma. Just how just how precise does your recruiting strategy have to be at Oklahoma? We could carry that over to USC. I mean, you know, here at USC, you know, as you know, you know, Clay Helton couldn't recruit his way out of a wet paper bag. So obviously, you know, you do have to have a certain level of skill and a, a certain level of attention to detail. But, you know, Lincoln Riley, you know, he got he had success at Oklahoma and he got quality players in enough to win, you know, four straight Big 12 titles, three straight uh, college football playoff appearances. So within that context, people might ask, well, you know, wh- what was it about a recruiting philosophy at Oklahoma that that wasn't really hitting the mark. What uh, you know, what what kind of gets overlooked or what kind of gets missed when we look at generally successful coaches at elite programs, but allowing certain things to slip through the cracks and perhaps not maximizing everything that uh, they had in front of them. Yeah. Again, it's 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 so interesting. They it, it with Lincoln. I do think that there was a lack of a little bit of self-awareness. And again, this is something that I think we are seeing play out a little bit over the last six, seven, eight months, just the continued media um, media opportunities that he's taken, the things that he has said about why he's left Oklahoma. Matt, he's done about six interviews now about why he's left Oklahoma. And we still don't know any answers from those interviews about why he left Oklahoma. Right. And so I think that when you, when you've had success, and you're going to continue to trust that process and you don't adjust it too much and you don't change all that much, eventually when things go wrong, things could go really, really wrong. His quarterback didn't develop the way it needed to in 21. Well, luckily for him, he had Caleb Williams at the time, but he was just a freshman, right? They didn't have an elder spokesperson in that room that was a little bit mature, had a little bit of game experience, a little bit of more life experience. They didn't have that to really settle things down. Offensive line play, we mentioned a second ago. I think, you know, the biggest thing, uh, the, the, when the offensive line, and I hate to point this out because I, I don't know the truth to this. I don't know the magnitude of this. I, I've said I don't think OU, cra- OU fans are crazy for thanking this, Matt. But the offensive line play after Jerry Schmidt left to go to Texas A&M after 2017 – that's when the offensive line play started to regress. Again, I know we're going to talk about this in the next few episodes, but it's kind of that, okay, is the strength conditioning at a point, you know, look in the mirror, is it where we need it to be? 
took Benny Wiley with him to USC, right? I, I think that there are some very interesting decisions that he made carrying over from Oklahoma to USC that we've talked about, Matt, before doing these podcasts that to me, that's a problem. Like he didn't recognize that those were problems at Oklahoma. He's going through with the same running, kind of running it back with the same crew at USC besides Josh Henson as his offensive line coach. And, you know, we'll see. I just think that the best coaches are very self-aware and aware of what they need to do at all times to win. Right. And I think Lincoln Riley has won a lot his own way. And he hasn't thought a ton about winning in a different way outside of, I'll give him some credit, Matt, the 2019 offense after the Kansas state game, which I, you've heard me talk about it four times now, I will gush about it. It's one of the most beautiful run offenses that I I've seen in the modern era. Um, It's my favorite of Lincoln Riley's quite frankly, that was the one time we've seen Lincoln Riley really, really beat understand the problems they're facing and solve them. And that outside of that, Matt, we really necessarily didn't see a ton of it at Oklahoma. So, you know, in terms of looking at what Lincoln Riley did well at Oklahoma, we're going to focus on that in a little bit, but let's kind of just finish off the the part of what Lincoln Riley didn't do as well at Oklahoma as he could have or should have one piece of this puzzle. And I, and I've, you know, seen you tweet about it. Uh, back when, you know, like the, the, the fallout from the end of the 2020 season was, was occurring. And especially in December, you know, af- right after the departure for USC, one thing that came up was the toxic nature of the locker room, the toxic nature of the practice field and just the overall environment around the 2021 teams. You know, some players, several Oklahoma players sounded off about that. So, you know, was there a point during the 2021 season? I know that you've said in an earlier episode of the series that you, know, you felt just something was off. But was there like a moment when you saw or felt, you know, per- privately, you know what? Lincoln Riley doesn't have the full trust or buy-in of this team. Was there a moment when that happened? And so when players sounded off in December about, you know, just how bad the vibe was around the 2021 team, did that bring your thought process back to a moment in September, in October, when you felt, yeah, this really just isn't uh, working out between the coach and his players? It was one of those things, right? You hear, you know, how to say this the best way that I can. There's just, there were times where Lincoln Riley had to deal with things internally, like in I'm talking as infrastructure as like the recruiting offices, right? He was having to take care of drama or, you know, people needing to feel like they, in terms of the hierarchy within the program are being treated that way. And I ask myself, Matt, are those things happening at Ohio State? Are those things happening at Alabama? Are those things happening at Georgia? And every time I ask myself that, every time I hear that, somebody's getting fired. Somebody is leaving Nick Saban's program if it's that way, right? And not every program needs to be run like Alabama and Nick Saban. Don't get me wrong. I'm just asking from the perspective, or I'm saying from the perspective of the things that you heard of how the office was being run, was that the most efficient way for them to be taking care of their time? Like, why does Lincoln Riley need to go have a meeting with somebody, a personnel, uh, a person, you know, staff personnel, support staff? Why is he needing to go take care of this drama? He needs to be focused on football. 
And then there was times where I was told that those issues were being kicked down the can and then they continued to feud, right? And so those are the things from an infrastructure toxic um, that it just, I ask myself, are those things happening at other programs? Are those things happening at other elite programs? And they damn well could be, right? I, I don't know those answers. I, I believe, like I said, from what I, from what I see, when those things are brought up, people are getting fired. And so that is certainly interesting, right? There's being guys being late to practice, being, you know, guys that maybe under the, you know, not doing what they need to do at practice and, you know, not being in the right state of mind at practices, like and getting away with it. And like, there's just, there's a lot of things, Matt, that you just, you hear and you ask yourself, is that happening at an elite football program? And I don't know. But it certainly is something that I have told you privately uh, that you need to keep an eye out on as this thing unfolds at USC. All right. Let's look at the, the very best things that Lincoln Riley did for Oklahoma football. I mean, I, I think a, a, you know, an obvious answer is you know, just being able to take the offensive talent that he had and to create – you know, the, the flood of Heisman Trophy winners, that, that's obviously one big answer. I guess, uh, you know, beyond the obvious, Keegan, you know, what's something that Lincoln Riley perhaps doesn't get enough credit for in terms of what he did to help uh, Bob Stoops build back OU and then, of course, taking over the program in his own right? What are some things that might get overlooked in terms of the contributions that Lincoln Riley made to OU football? Yeah, absolutely. the recruiting aspect of it, the the way that they embraced his staff embraced social media in outreach and to make Matt, quite frankly, for a, a guy that has been around and watched decades of college football, Oklahoma was kind of cool, right? Like when was, have you ever heard that phrase used to describe Oklahoma? I, I certainly wouldn't. They were, they were cool, right? Like Marquise Brown had a grill like that. Like, you know, like C.D. Lamb was making highlight plays left and right. Baker Mayfield is running down the field, waving the OU flag before the games. Like, Oklahoma was kind of cool under Lincoln Riley. And they had that kind of modern feel to it. And that aspect of what he brought to the table, I think, opened a lot of people's eyes of, oh, crap, this is where college football is heading. Right. Because Oklahoma is Oklahoma is known to have uh, not dinosaurs aren't the right word to, to what right word to use. But they've got a bunch of old mindset, old old heads that run the university and run the program, run run the athletic department or the major boosters or on the board of re those, those are the people on the board of regents. He was kind of hit. He was a little bit cool. And that was a little bit different. And it ended up working. They, I mean, they landed a top five class in 2019 and recruiting class. And so Lincoln Riley made Oklahoma interesting. Like, okay, you're not just this smack, smash mouth defense, run it at your face. We're physical. We're better than you. No, Lincoln Riley played the game as if they were smarter than them. He was always felt like he was three steps ahead. And that's what, that's the aspect of the, those are some intangibles that other coaches just did not have in the country at the time. And Lincoln Riley continued to make those things better. Do you think Lincoln Riley is still a, a kind of a trendsetter in that regard? Do you think the industry and a lot of the competition has uh, 
maybe not caught up with him, but has begun to reduce the gap. Uh, and uh, kind of on a, I'm going to ask you two questions at the same time. So on the piggy, piggybacking off that question, you know, whether you think the industry is catching up to Lincoln Riley, do you think that moving to USC might actually just put Lincoln Riley in a position to uh, expand that gap? Because being in a p- p- place where the culture is very different and you don't have that old school mentality that you just talked about at the University of Oklahoma. It's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how much he changes USC and I just this is very big regional <laughs> I don't know profiling here I think that might be the best way to put it like USC should from a cinematic from a content creation Southern California majestic views great weather all those things right like if Lee Riley definitely will tap into that. I just don't know in terms of social media and being cool and the new kid on the block. Like, I don't know how much more he can grow in from there. I think that where clearly what we've seen from him, the big change and adjustment is what he's doing in the world of NIL and really, really being able to embrace that to be able to put the best roster together. That's the dynamic that I think has changed for him is that it honestly, I guess the best way to put this, Matt, he, he figured out, he's figured out his whole career how to work smarter and not harder, which I respect him for. I praise him for that because that's exactly what every, I think, human wants to do at the end of the day. And so that's the aspect I want to see. I don't know how much more innovative he can get away from the football field, Matt. Um, but the way that he has been ahead of the game and embracing NIL, um, the way that he has at USC should definitely give him the edge that that kind of cool hit factor gave him at Oklahoma. So, uh, you know, this is that that particular insight is fascinating because among all the football figures I know, that, that whole idea of working smarter, not harder, originated with Steve Spurrier. Like he became – the, the icon or the, the poster boy for working smarter, not harder, and how that really ruffled the feathers of all the old school folks in the SEC. So you've drawn a very neat parallel between you know, that and the University of Oklahoma. Uh, so you know, in terms of how Riley has you know, you know, helped University of Oklahoma, is, is it uh, fair to say that like, he's, he's been able to expand the identity of Oklahoma in ways that Brent Venables can now build on that and yet bring back some of that old school identity, making Oklahoma like an even more complete program, which will be even more resilient and prepared as it goes into the SEC. I definitely do. Sorry to cut you off there. I definitely do. I, I think that the, the, where Oklahoma was at from a, what has been done and then what needs to be done to get us over that hump has left Oklahoma, and I think in, in, in terms of infrastructure and resources and where everything is at, yeah, I, he left Brent Venables in a very, very good spot. I think the talent that's on the roster still gives Oklahoma – I mean, look at the odds out there. You can look at all the advanced statistics. I'll have Oklahoma winning the Big 12 or at least the favorite to winning the Big 12 for this upcoming season – so it's certainly interesting. And the parallel, Matt, that I think is very, if you want to go even deeper, uh, <laughs> Bob Stoops is a Spurrier tree guy. 
And so there is a, a, you, a weird, a nice branch there between Spurrier to Bob to Lincoln um, that uh, I guess I never really thought of until you just said of a second ago. So uh, Lincoln does give off some Spurrier vibes, Matt. Uh, that is very, um, that's a very good analogy to make. So it, it's, it's definitely Lincoln is, he messes with the common thought. He thinks thing about things a little bit differently. And that does make him weird. He, he it makes him one of us, Matt. I think that's what it makes him. It makes him one of us uh, that he, he thinks about things just a little bit differently than what the old school football guy uh, certainly thinks. And that I think gives him a little bit of an edge. And then in an era full of college football, that's full of unknowns and where we're, how, where we're going and the trajectory of the sport. Lincoln Riley will equip himself and put him on the right rocket ship to get him to the places he wants to go. That's Keegan Renault, Oklahoma insider, taking us through this 12-part series uh, on the Riley Files, a deep dive into the career of, of Lincoln Riley. Well, guess what, folks? We're done with six of the 12 episodes. We're halfway home. Stay tuned for our next episode, episode seven, when we look at how Oklahoma's recruiting performance under Lincoln Riley reveals what the coach is and isn't capable of as a recruiter and how he needs to evolve at USC. That's coming up next in episode seven. We thank you for joining us for episode six of the Riley Files here at Trojans Wire.